Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the 23rd day of June in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'll be talking about the 60th anniversary of President John Kennedy's speech given at American University on June 10th, 1963, in which he made a dramatic call for peace. I argue that the speech was a watershed moment in American politics and American foreign policy because the organization in control of those things hated and feared peace as much in 1963 as it does now. What was President Kennedy trying to do with the speech? What kind of peace did he seek? He tells us, quote, not a Pax Americana enforced on the world by American weapons of war, not a peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I'm talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope to build a better life, for their children, not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, but peace for all time. I speak of peace as the necessary rational end of rational men. I realize that the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, and frequently the words of the pursuer of peace fell on deaf ears. But we have no more urgent task, end quote. Weird as it may seem, the desire for peace put the Kennedys, both Jack and Bobby, at war with the most powerful force on this earth. President Eisenhower, who knew a thing or two about war, warned the American people about it in his farewell speech in 1961. One must assume that he personally warned President Kennedy about what he was facing. The force was what Eisenhower referred to as the military-industrial complex but what we today might refer to as the military security intelligence industrial complex. Kennedy's pursuit of peace, which the media often referred to as Camelot, came to a quick end almost before he could get started. On October 11, 1963, just four months after the speech, President Kennedy apparently, according to his biographers and to his brother Bobby, bypassed his own National Security Council and issued National Security Memorandum 263 ordering the withdrawal of the 1,000 U.S. military advisors from Vietnam by the end of that year, 1963. His plan was not allowed to happen because just six weeks later he was dead and the first act of LBJ after taking the oath of office was to counterman Kennedy's memorandum. Dr. Ron Paul, in his article called We Need a Peace President, commends the diplomacy of Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Quote, Fortunately, we had a president in the White House at the time who understood the dangers of nuclear brinkmanship. Although he was surrounded by hawks who could never forgive him for aborting the idiotic Bay of Pigs Cuba invasion, President John F. Kennedy picked up the telephone for a discussion with his Soviet counterpart Nikita Khrushchev which eventually saved the world, end quote. Yes, we know today that Kennedy made a deal with Khrushchev to remove U.S. missiles from northern Turkey, which were right across the Black Sea and visible to Russia on a clear day, and Khrushchev removed the Russian missiles from Cuba, perhaps. Still today, that was the most clear, shining example of how diplomacy can work if used properly. It is all too clear that we do not have a John Kennedy in the White House today to stop us from the unnecessarily confrontational tone we take towards Russia. The world was different in 1963. The United States was different. We were young. we just come from victory 
in a world war. There was nothing we could not accomplish, nothing we could not achieve. John Kennedy, a genuine war hero in the White House, knew just how powerful the organizations which opposed him could be. When President Kennedy was assassinated, I would surmise that the military-industrial complex assumed that a pivot had been reached in American history. Camelot was dead and had learned its lesson the hard way about who runs this world. LBJ was fully in their camp, and the roughly 60,000 Vietnam dead would soon attest to that. Out of this, of the U.S. Senate came Jack's brother, Bobby, saying the same things, promoting peace and a way to make government work for all Americans, as he put it. Both Kennedys thought they could be the force behind creating a good country for everyone. They sought to make the idea of America come alive for all Americans. Then on June 5, 1968, the most powerful industry in the world took control of American politics and American foreign policy and has held that control since then. The empire took control, developed a life of its own. It's fashionable today to call it the deep state, but by whatever name you choose to call it, it has now been in control of American politics and especially foreign policy for 60 years. The idea of America was perhaps a government that practiced restraint only fought when it had to. It did not seek to finance no-win wars through debt and inflation, thus condemning future generations. It kept taxes low, respected its people, tried to keep casualties from its foreign adventures low as well. The assassination of Jack Kennedy put all that in the deep freeze, at least temporarily. LBJ sold a different bill of goods to the American people. We could and good and should go abroad looking for monsters to slay. We should confront them militarily wherever we found them. Yes, LBJ had a different plan. It was one of action, one of activism and empire. Bombs, bullets, ships, and planes became the order of the day, and they still are. A nation so bold, so powerful, cannot be held in check by something as simple as a written constitution. Friends and enemies alike must get out of its way in an ever-expanding lust for greatness. Some among the new empire declared this to be the new American century. Bobby Kennedy, young but solidly entrenched in the U.S. Senate, saw all this. He was disturbed by it. He was disturbed by the war, the tens of thousands of dead, the billions expended, all the other trappings of empire. He talked to people who urged him to take an unprecedented action, and that was to take on and oppose a sitting president from his own party in the primaries for the office of president of the United States. Bobby had some experience taking on an organization similar to the military-industrial complex because he's, his primary mission as attorney general had been to take on and run in, rein in organized crime, the mafia. The mafia was everywhere, corrupting everything, the system of justice. It influenced witnesses, bribed judges, assassinated judges. He started to put them out of business by shining a light on their dark families through a series of Senate hearings. They didn't forget his action. The rumor is they will never forget. Supposedly, they had helped Jack win in the vitally important district of Chicago and had been promised that the Kennedys would lay off them as a quid pro quo if that happened. Bobby apparently didn't get the memo because he didn't back away for a minute. Remember, that Bobby Kennedy was attorney general, served at the pleasure of the president. So if he were to be eliminated, the president could simply appoint another. But the president, if the president were eliminated, you had the whole system in your hands. So the business of the mob 
was being damaged by the efforts of Bobby Kennedy to actually do his job, but that was not the only industry, perhaps not even the most powerful industry, to be upset with the Kennedys. The Kennedys had a general distrust of the war industry. After the CIA lied to President Kennedy about the Bay of Pigs, neither ever forgot it, apparently, according to many biographies. And the investigation of Prosecutor Jim Garrison. By this time, the mob and the CIA were working together to accomplish their joint enterprise. Whether any of that information about the CIA and the mob is true or not, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy was another, perhaps even greater, milestone in American history than the president's assassination. I doubt if as many people recognize it as such. I don't think there was the outpouring of grief from around the world that President Kennedy's death brought. But the death of Bobby Kennedy removed the last obstacle to the War Party's domination of American politics and American foreign policy. It's been that way in part for 60 years, totally that way for 55 years. Countless lives have been lost, much infrastructure destroyed, but nothing. And no one has stood in their way for six decades until now. In a virtual repeat of his father's campaign against a sitting president of his own party, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. enters the race proclaiming a campaign based on telling the truth, on giving peace a chance. Unfortunately, the organization that opposed his father and his uncle, whose power was cemented through their murders, that organization is now much more powerful than it was then because it has almost complete control of the media. They don't like this Kennedy not even a pedigree from arguably the nation's most honored Democrat family can change that. He's nuts, they say. He's eccentric. He's a lunatic. He's kooky. He's a purveyor of wacky conspiracy theories. He says that podcast may, may very well decide this election because no one else will allow his views to be presented. He recently did an interview with Jordan Peterson, and YouTube took it down. What about that interview, he asks? is so bad the American people should be prevented from hearing it or seeing it. The organization he opposes and its captive media know better than you know yourself what you should be exposed to. The truth is irrelevant, they say, because they decide what's true and what isn't. They have quite graciously decided to take it upon themselves to decide what the American people may see, hear, and read. It's quite a burden. I suppose they expect us to be grateful because we have the opportunity to be one of them. All we have to do is just bend our knees to their God. Oh, they have him all right. They very much want you to hate him as well. After all, folks, if we're left to ourselves with no media, high-tech, globalist overlords to decide for us, we might just make an unapproved choice, as we did back in 2016. The organization simply cannot stand for that. Mr. Kennedy was interviewed recently on the Joe Rogan Show which I believe is still the most listened to podcast in the world. Joe talked about many things with him, but in particular about vaccines. Dr. Peter Hotez, who is co-director of the Texas Hospital Center for Vaccine Development, took issue with the interview. He called on Spotify to sanction Rogan. Joe gave it right back to him, called on Dr. Hotez to debate Kennedy on his show with an offer of $100,000 to the charity of his choice for the debate. Since then, other parties have sweetened the offer, and now it stands at $2.6 million. But guess what? No debate, no deal. Anybody can see the reason is fear. 
Fear of looking like a fool in front of the largest audience ever, but they try to make it sound as if they just don't want to dignify Kennedy's wild conspiracy theories. Dr. Hotez turned down the interview, but he chose his own safe, adoring media to announce it. Well, the darkness fears the light, folks, and runs from it. Finally, folks, the media as a whole, the controllers of the Democrat Party, would rather see a bumbling, stumbling man who at best is a part-time president with serious bribery and or treason charges hanging over him. They would rather have that man as their candidate for president as they would Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's taken on the U.S. war machine and announced that the Democrats are the party of war, a bold move from a bold man. Folks, when he speaks, it brings me back to when I was young. And so were Jack and Bobby at the time. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Kessel. Thanks for listening.